When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Leland Sklar, and you are digging Pantheon Podcast. Yes! History in Five Songs. With host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Martin Popoff back again for another episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff brought to you by the good people at Pantheon Podcast. We are part of the vast and growing Pantheon Podcast Network. They're all down at uh, Rockin' Pod right now. I think that's maybe ending right around now. But uh, yeah, you can go on YouTube and see some uh, some samples of what went down in Nashville at Rockin' Pod. But they were a big part of that. Um but we are available on Spotify, iTunes, and over 40 other podcast platforms. All right. Uh, okay, so this episode, uh, this is episode 111. We're calling this You Didn't Have to Be There. Now, this is the follow-up on the last episode, which was about having to be there. Uh, so the the whole idea of this, just to give you a little background, is when you're turning people on to music, um, long story, I'm going to be going on um, Sea of Tranquility, and and uh, Pete's got this new concept going where, uh, you know, someone, someone presents someone an album to try, uh, get them into, um, and then the other one does the same, and they compare notes, etc., so I, I started thinking this concept of there's certain things where you kind of had to be there um, to to be into them. Um, and that was the last episode. That was episode 110. And as I hinted in that episode, there's the flip side of that, where I think there are things that you can turn people on to in music, proselytize, just like a DJ. That's the fun of this, as I explained in the last episode, where... There's not really that element of you had to be there. You didn't need massive, massive context uh, to think these things are great. Now, we can have a debate. Are these things greater because of that? I would say not necessarily. They're greater on an objective level, on a flash level on a window dressing level, but they're not necessarily greater than the, you had to be there stuff. And we're going to, we're going to compare notes uh, on that. So, so here we go. Uh, let's play our first selection. Uh, these all have different contours and different parameters uh, to how, uh, you know, by the end of the five pieces, uh, it feels like, you know, I've explained myself. Take a listen to this. This is the hounds with working on my cool. All right, so I wanted to pick this. This is the Hounds. They're a band. They were on, uh, is it Epic or is it, I always forget this, Epic or CBS, Columbia. Um, Columbia, uh, 78 and 79. 
Uh, they only made the two albums. Uh, they're from Chicago. I actually wrote up the story of both of these albums in that Ye Old Metal series book that uh, series of books that I did. The 1979 one, I still have copies of that. So if anybody wants that, check out martinpopoff.com. But there's the story of the second album called Putting on the Dog um, in that. So there's a whole chapter on this album. So this song that I just played you, Working on My Cool, I wanted to pick this band to give the con... Uh, the contrast between the first album, Unleashed, which has sort of a punky cover um, and a little bit more punkier music, and then the second one, which has this this really bright, bright, blinding production uh, sheen on it. I think it's produced by Jeff Jeffrey Lesser, if I'm not mistaken. This record, yes, Jeffrey Jeffrey Lesser. Um, so. The idea with this song itself, now if you go play this whole song, you know, these guys are so rare that they're actually not even on Spotify, despite it only being 1979 and despite them being on a totally major label, Columbia, um, this is not on Spotify, neither of their two albums. Um, but go play this song in its entirety on YouTube and uh, you'll you'll recognize the genius of it. Granted, I think it's the most face-forward song where uh, I guess my point is... To love this song, to realize how great this song is, and the rest of the album goes various places. There's some heavy stuff, some popular stuff, some balladic stuff, ba you know, ballads. A uh, neat thing about the album, it's it's got a song called The Moth and the Fire on it. It's got a song called Horses, and it's got a song called Spiders. And, uh, and you know, it's uh, the, the band name is called Hounds. It's got a really good heavy slow one on here called Angel of Fire. Um, they cover Under My Thumb. Um, but... I wanted to pick this song in particular from this band's two albums in total because I I feel like um any smart music fan would listen to this and go, wow, that is a that is a great song. You didn't have to be there because there was no there. I mean, there was no magic moment for the Hounds in 1979 or 78 in terms of, you know, being part of the pop consciousness. If you like Sticks, if you like Boston, if you like Foreigner, if you like the idea of what should be or could be a smash radio hit, you can picture this song being a massive, massive uh, radio hit. It's called Working On My Cool, right? Pretty cool. Um but I wanted to pick it for the contrast with the first album, which I think is just as good an album. I love both of these albums by this band. But the first one is a little grittier and a little more dated, right? Uh, the idea of being dated um, goes into the you had to be there category. Now, obviously... Um, this song I played you is dated to to uh, to a blinding production sheen of the late 70s of that pomp rock sort of thing. But it's the kind of dated that is still accessible. And all I want you to do with this song is picture it as that could have been a number one smash single and this band could have been absolutely massive. You go play the rest of the album and, and it and it doesn't let you down in terms of like, yes, this could have been a massive, massive album with other singles on it as well. Even though this is the one that really stands out as, uh, as you know, like I say, any sensible person can listen to that song. Uh, you know, go listen to the intro of it. There's really cool, complicated, proggy intro, which reminds you of of that song on the on the second Boston album, or is it the first album that does that? But it, but it has that Boston esque, uh, you know, epic uh, intro uh, with various parts before it, it it settles down into the you know the clouds parting, gorgeous melodic radio smash single uh, part. Um, 
So there you go. Uh, so again, the contrast is the first album, you could play it, you could love it. If you're into, you know, 70s hard rock and, and you know, gritty, urban, uh, you know, punky hard rock and rock and roll and the dictators maybe, um, you know, you you could you could love that album instantly, but the second one has that feel that you don't have to be there. You don't have to love this stuff particularly. Any sensible person can see this as a hit. All right, let's move on. Our second selection. This is King's X with "Talk to You." Okay, so this is actually our most famous band uh, on on this uh, this list of you didn't have to be there. Now, Pete and I recently we on Sea of Tranquility we ranked the King's X catalog, um, and people loved that episode. And people have been asking for Pete to do this for a long time. Why have they been asking Pete to do this for a long time? Because they know it's a you didn't have to be there band. Um, they they knew that that like wow on you know with all the firepower in this band. Pete should love this band. So it's it's essentially all of Pete's many, many fans on Sea of Tranquility trying to turn him on to a band where they're not feeling any reservations about. They're not feeling like you had to be there. They're not feeling like there was a context of a certain time and space and, and in the context of a scene with other bands. Yes, this is maybe the best of a bunch of bands that sound like this. No, King's X... Uh, they record amazingly. They've got those huge harmonies. They've got Doug's big soulful vocals and Ty's, you know, other vocal, um, you know, giving giving a contrast there. They're proggy. They're heavy. They use weird tunings. Uh, they down tune. They are the, um, you know, the um, Metallica crossed with Beatles. No one else sounds like them. I mean, in fact, if anything, they spawned a tiny scene that that branched out into the likes of Galactic Cowboys and Atomic Opera and Awful Truth. But other than that, you know, King's X is the core band, and there's no there's no million bands after King's X that sound like King's X where a young person would go back and say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah the, you know, the original is the original." Sure, I I I realize that, but it's not really as good as these 50 bands who copied King's X and do it way better years later. So there's none of that going on. Um, and King's X are perennially rated, you know, comically rated as almost the, the, um, the most underrated band of all time. So when people send these signals out to Pete and, or say things like, you know, they're the most underrated band of all time, they're just saying this because it's a band where you didn't have to be there for them. In fact, as I remember going through the King's X catalog with Pete, you, you, could, you could pretty easily forget what years the albums came out because there's no real magic context about, oh, it was late and, you know, it was 88 for the debut and 89 for the next one and Dogman was 1994 and the years of grunge or post-grunge. And then later on, you know, essentially starting with the likes of Tapehead, they all they all essentially sound similar um, and they're just spread out over the 2000s or whatever. So there so there's no element of you. You had to be there to 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 get this. You don't have to be educated in in like 
being presented some of the coolest King's X stuff because any sensible music fan is going to listen to that and go, wow, why weren't these these guys bigger? That's the thing you hear about King's X constantly. Why weren't these guys superstars? And everybody kind of shakes their head and, and you know, has to move into things like, oh, they were too hard to categorize and stuff like that. So that's what happens. Um, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. All right, back again here in History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff. You didn't have to be there. See, the point with uh, having an episode called You Didn't Have to Be There is that now you're in that pure zone of uh, of uh, loving, turning on people to music, like like why DJs love their, their job so much, why rock journalists love their job so much, um, why doing this podcast is, is fun. Um, but you know, think about it, uh, all the previous episodes, I'm not, I'm not particularly, uh, across those episodes, um, you know, dying to turn you on to some new band. You know, I was just bringing up themes and saying this fits in a theme and ha ha, isn't that kind of cool? And these go together and that goes together. So I'm, I'm not doing that thing that a DJ loves to do, which is turn people on to, to, to new music, but I'm actually doing that here with this one, um, and and so in the last episode it wasn't really that way because because I'm almost apologizing for trying to turn you on to bands where you had to be there in some way right um, here there's no apologies here I'm I'm saying look you're stupid if you don't realize these people are geniuses that's really point blank what's happening here with these bands um, so 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 it's like you know if you have half a brain you'll realize how great this stuff is. Whereas with the you had to be there, uh, like, you know, I picked some kind of lower grade punk. I, I, I picked the vibrators last episode, right? It's like, well, I can, I can totally understand uh, if you don't love this because you had to be there. And, you know, sensibly, you know, there's a lot of reasons not to think this is so great. Um, and so that's, that's really, you know, one of the big distinguishing points. Um, so take a listen to this. This is our third selection. This is Last Crack with Energy Mind. All right. So last crack. Um, what can I say about this that I haven't said before? Um, you know, not a lot in that um, it's definitely a you didn't have to be there band because there was no there because there was no famed uh, time for last crack. I mean, the 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 debut Sinister Funkhouse number 17 with that famous shot of Butto naked on the cover and, you know, red paint splattered on the on the wall. Uh, you know, they're coming out on Roadrunner. Um, but this one I played, uh, played you here is from their second and last album. Uh, they had a live album and I think they might have a reunion thing. I, I can't quite remember. I should know that. Um, but anyways, um, burning time came out, uh, 1991 and energy mind is from that produced exquisitely by Dave Jordan. So here's something I can bring up. Um, you know, the, one of the concepts with the, you didn't have to be their band is that the production should be absolutely amazing? Uh, there should be there should be no reservations about saying, "Geez, that sounds kind of old and raw," and "Oh, they use too much reverb on that," and blah blah blah. You know, which is which is the complaints you can have with the 
with a, a you had to be there kind of band, right? Um, so this production is incredible. It's just pristine. It's awesome. Uh, they're really proggy. They're even messianic in a way. In fact, on the front cover, Butto is there, you know, uh, with his arms stretched out. He's got no shirt on. He looks like Jim Morrison. He's he's praying to this candle, and there's this weird demon in the background. Um, really, really cool. Complicated, proggy, but super interesting and even stadium rocking and anthemic sort of album where, um, you know, it's a little bit too odd to say that, um, you know, these guys should have been massive, but they, they could have been much more, you know, bigger than they were at least on the level of a King's X. But you've got song titles like Wicked Sandbox, Mini Toboggan, uh, Precious Human Stress, Kiss A the Cold, Love, Comma, Craig, uh, Mac Bolasis, Blue Fly, Fit, uh, Fish Sky, Papa Magaya. I mean, start to finish, this Burning Time album is a drop-dead classic of a definitely you didn't have to be there. Just, you know, if, if you're into good music, that's kind of the idea, right? If you're into good music, objectively good music, well-put-together music, this brings up another point. I'm not going to go into every point about this, but the idea of, wow, this is a big point. This could be a whole episode. The idea of Prague being perfect music, classical music being perfect music, K-pop being perfect music, pop on Virgin Radio being perfect music. And what I mean by that is the idea that there's music just so absolutely made for perfection in every way to to deliver to deliver a hook to your head or whatever um that that you know on an objective level you can't call it bad right you can call venom bad on an objective level you can call black metal bad on an objective level death metal um you could call uh you know what is a you know drone music whatever that there's there's a lot of things where uh, you know, it's like the difference between beer being a taste for an adult versus something like a kid would spit out or coffee, right? The idea, you know, music that you have to work for later on is more adult music, but there's music that on an objective level, um, you know, is just, let's not, let's not go totally into that, but, but yeah, last crack, burning time, uh, including the debut Sinister Funk House number 17, check it out, um, but yeah, I, I think that's basically a you didn't have to be there again because there was no there. There was no fame. It's just the 90s, you know, whatever. You know, I, I'm putting down, you know, part part of this is uh, is me being ageist and realizing that there are magic times, of course, if you were 17 in 1990, there's there's a lot more magic around certain things. But um, But I'm combining that. Again, I'm combining that with the fact that, yeah, they weren't really famous and blah, blah, blah. All right, let's move on to the next one. Uh, this is track four, The Tea Party with Fire in the Head. All right, so I wanted to pick this Canadian band. You know, I've said before that I was I was horrified and thought the Tea Party were incredibly 
pretentious on their debut and i think the second one is splendor solace there's a there's a scrappy debut version i think anyways the big one was the edges of twilight and i wanted to pick the first uh track off of that because that's where you know the skies broke open and i realized these guys were absolute geniuses and they're operating on a true you didn't have to be their level now a lot of people the funny thing about this band and it is funny it is comical um jeff martin Pretty, pretty, pretty boring basic name, <laughs> Canadian. Um, but uh, that's where the, the basicness ends. He looks like Jim Morrison and he sounds like Jim Morrison. Now, he's on top of a band that sounds like Led Zeppelin. And U2. And I want to talk about U2 in a little, little bit about this. But that was the funny shtick about this band that had you either loving them or hating them. And I hated them and then loved them. And then and then they just got better and better. And they're this absolute genius band who puts so much work into their albums, records amazing. Some of it's heavy, but they have no parameters. They can do anything. But here's where the U2 comes in. Okay. So I picked these guys because I wanted to talk about the idea of messianic, right? Um, you know, Bruce Springsteen, born in the USA, magical messianic moment. Peter Gabriel, uh, melted face, certainly into security, messianic. You too, the most messianic band there is, right? You think of, uh, you know, war going into Joshua Tree, uh, not Joshua Tree, but Unforgettable Fire, definitely, and then Joshua Tree as well. Super messianic, you know, but they had the Christian side of it and they, you know, Bono wanting to save the world and all that. There's reasons you people call them messianic, right? But so here's the thing. You compare the messianicness of the Tea Party and the messianicness of U2, and U2 can be seen as a little bit of a you-had-to-be-there band. And if you were there, it was a magical, magical, magical time, 83 through 87 for U2. Um, you know, if you were there, it's very, very simple to think this is the greatest band in the world, the next Led Zeppelin. They're they're literally the the Led Zeppelin of the 80s, right? People may forget that now because they've come into lots of ridicule and, you know, all oh, their dad music or whatever, because we're decades and decades later, right? Um, but the idea is... Um, if you if you just played the U2 albums and you just played the Tea Party albums for someone with zero context what for whatsoever, I think I think the sensible, all-rounded, objective music fan is just going to look at the Tea Party and say these guys are better than U2. That's a little bit of this concept of you had to be there or you didn't have to be there. Um, but yeah, go go check out Tea Party. Um, they do a lot of amazing things. The production is incredible. It's timeless. Um, there are so many strange, exotic sounds and instruments. Um, but yeah, they definitely have this thing that might rub you the wrong way where you've got a guy that looks like Jim Morrison, sounding like Jim Morrison, on top of a band who sound like Led Zeppelin. Uh, unfortunately, and this is not the Tea Party's fault, but there's something called Greta Van Fleet, right? Um, which, which, is, uh, which can rub people the wrong way about bands who think they're Led Zeppelin right? That's not the Tea Party's fault. Tea Party is, and that's the other thing about Tea Party. They're super, super literary. Um, like I say, the albums are long and complicated and have all sorts of stuff. They do They do the deepest, most guttural blues better than most bands. Uh, they do this Zeppelin thing better than most bands who sound like Zeppelin. Um, just an amazing, amazing band of super, super smart, you know, wise Swami music guys. Um, all right, let's move on. Our last selection, uh, take a listen to this. This is Helix with Billy Oxygen. Hey, come on now, people, let me tell you 
All right, so this represents a whole different kind of thing. So so I'll give you a little history about this song. Helix obviously turned into a really good, you know, gritty hair metal party band uh, from Canada. They they had some fame starting off with those capital years, uh, you know, walking the razor's edge and wild in the streets and all that, long way to heaven. Um, good stuff, really good band live. Brian Vollmer's amazing. But they had these first two albums that were just indie released. Uh, I believe they were based in Ottawa at the time. Uh, this is off of their first album called, uh, called uh, Breaking Loose. Um, and what I love about this song, the funny thing is, and this also isn't on Spotify, um, but I wanted to play this for you. Um, and well, I'll tell you the funny thing, first of all. So so when I went to play it to pick my little 30-second segment, I had to go to YouTube. And I go there, and it's like in the comments, my name's in every comment. Because what happened was, is, is I was on Sea of Tranquility, and I, and I brought this song up. Uh, I can't remember why. Um, but anyways, I brought it up, so a bunch of people heard that episode, and they went over and played it, and they were all commenting on it. But the idea with this song and why it's here is a little bit like I, I picked it as an obscurity that I I will love turning people on to because I think the song is an absolute laugh riot. It's it's epic, it's humorous, it's got a ton of parts, it's tightly recorded and played, it's flashy, and that's the idea here. So so this is a you didn't have to be there again because there was no there, but because it's just such an irresistible song for its flashiness. So what it's representing here in the number five slot is Bohemian Rhapsody, Carry On Wayward Son, Walk This Way, Head East, Never Been a Reason, uh, Never Been Any Reason, whatever it's called, uh, Ram Jam, Black Betty, even a little bit of a Manfred Mann slash Bruce Springsteen blinded by the light, right? Is that what it's called? Um, so the idea is here that um, any idiot can love this song and those songs that I just named because there's so much funny stuff going on. Sweet action, right? Um, even Ballroom Blitz. There's flashy little hooky things that everybody's doing where you go, oh, look over here, look over here, look over here. There's just little little funny explosions going off all over the place where you, where anybody can just be swept up into the enthusiasm of the song. Now, that's different from Wish You Were Here, Hotel California, Stairway to Heaven where they're not flashy songs, but they're considered the greatest songs of all time, right? All these songs, you know, uh, the Nirvana song. Uh, well, the Nirvana song actually, what the heck's it called? Sm smells Like Teen Spirit ha is, is a, has got a little bit of flash to it as well because of the, um, you know, the, the massive change in dynamics between them in the, in the anthemic chorus. But um, all I'm saying here and, and why I've picked this is that um, it's much more sensible to love uh, pretty easily and objectively a flashy song like Bohemian Rhapsody or Billy Oxygen uh, than it is to like those other ones because those other ones are so swept up in the weight of their history and the context and, and who the band is and who the people making it uh, are. Um, uh, how massive they were, uh, where it fits on the album conceptually, uh, you know, so, 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 some of the greatest songs, I guess my point is, some of the greatest songs of all time are are there, but they're not flashy. Uh, and and they have an element of you had to be there. But Billy Oxygen doesn't have an element of you had to be there. It's just you play it for someone and they go, wow, that is pretty remarkable. That is pretty strange. Um, so there you go. That's our episode. Um, I wanted to just uh, 
let's see how much time do we got i don't want to go too long but i wanted to mention a, a few uh people who commented on this concept uh in the in the facebook page uh don uh you know don wants to say kind of anonymous um so i'm just going to stop at that uh all music is created as at a specific time and place after that moment of creation it is no longer static in that way asserting you had to be there or you had to experience from my perspective at a particular juncture in my development to assign qualitative value to it is merely how the human mind attempts to understand its own preferences at best and persuade others in search of validation at worst in other words there's no music that pleases me that had to be created at a specific time there's no music that seemingly speaks only to me garnering my favor this is why my brain can be pleased by a 14th century lullaby or a song that will be created next year there's a lot in that um i i not even sure if I'm agreeing or not agreeing. Uh, anyways, uh, she goes on. I am a total jerk about music and quick to tell others the music they like is terrible. It is terrible to me and of that I am certain as certain as I am as all music is perfect to the person who loves it. You question whether you argued your theory well. Perhaps that is because some part of you subconsciously aware that there is no objective me measure of music as our brains are only uh, able to experience it subjectively and absolutely individually. So here I am totally disagreeing. This is why I've split this up into two episodes. I think I think the music in the you don't have or you have to be there uh, is uh, you have to. Uh, everybody looks at that more subjectively, and the music in the you didn't have to be there is more objectively uh, easy to understand as great. That's the whole idea. Uh, anyways, um, I'll uh, I'll just move on. Uh, you know, she's got more good stuff. Go to the Facebook page and read this. Steve Polari writes, "Love this episode. I did Martin's homework assignment. He gave Highway Child Storybook Heroes a listen. I have to say, I couldn't get past the heavily gated drums and guitars saturated in reverb '80s production. So that was kind of my point. Uh, that feels like a little bit more of a you had to be there. I think a lot of '80s production is a victim of new technology being available. Producers were going uh, crazy. Tim by the replacements is an amazing album, but the production dates it. It works on the closing tune. Uh, then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you had the alternate rock scene with labels like SST, blah, blah, blah. Steve, Steve Bellow says... I always said I was born too late. I wish, I wish I was there for the first Zeppelin album, the first time people heard Hendrix. But now I have students asking me what it was like when I first heard Metallica for the first time. So we all wish we had to be somewhere at some point in life. I light up when someone tells me about I was in high school when I heard the first Sabbath album. There is no best time per se, but to someone, the nostalgia is deep. So take that for what it is. Uh, that's a little bit about how... There is weight to the you had to be there. Eric J. Peterson says, I love the Nuggets talk. A cool episode would be you talking about tracks from that set. One of the things I think we miss out on box sets like Nuggets. Going away is a curated way to help people navigate older scenes, sounds, and styles. Uh, for instance, with uh, without an L.A. punk version of Nuggets, people are going to find X, Social Distortion, TSOL, The Minuteman, Black Flag, and maybe The Gun, Flag, but are, uh, Gun Club, but not going to be exposed to 45 Grey, uh, grave legal weapon the dills or the flesh eater so there's there's a point um again uh, that's why i picked nuggets because it was all contextual tegan evans writes i feel like the new version of box sets will absolutely be and probably currently is today online video channels they will always be people there will always be people talking about the past and reminding others to track down hidden gems um let's see blaze barshaw awesome show a topic i've thought a lot about loved your last line i have all but given up on trying to enlighten any anyone on a band i love especially to the casual music fan and it seems the older one is less likely you will be able to get your point across at least with the younger people who are trying to get into the new um so that again is a little bit of the point um uh of these two episodes combined 
I see I see less success in trying to turn somebody onto a you had to be there situation, but I see uh, percentage wise mathematically more success trying to turn somebody onto a you didn't have to be there uh, type thing. Uh, Adam Morris says, Martin, you explained exactly why I find it hard to listen to 70s Judas Priest. It just sounds dated with wimpy guitars. The same songs sound live great, but I can't get into the studio album. So there is my point, right? Uh, thank you for that, Adam. It's exactly right. Um, British Steel has a more modern sound where I can begin listening to the album. So, so the point there uh, was a little bit of the point of, uh, did I pick a song like that? Anyways, the idea is bluntly, uh, it's pretty. It's pretty objectively easier to like firepower than it is to like stained class. Yet most fans, uh, until they start the old ones start dying off, most fans are going to say stained class is the classic, right? Not firepower. Um, Reed Little writes, "I love the idea of punk as the abstract art version of music." That section of the episode was probably the one that most resonated. I was just a hair too young to listen to punk, and if I try to listen to it now, it just makes me wonder what people saw in it back in the day. Exactly, exactly, Reed. That's the point of that episode uh, and this one. I I, in I intend to thoroughly explore post punk someday. Maybe after that, I'll work my way back to actual punk. Oh, and thanks for the name check. Uh, so there you go. Um, Let's leave it at that. Uh, if you liked this show and want to support future episodes, of course, I've got the Kofi thing. Um, and like I say, every week you guys come through. Thank you very much. It comes just right to the right amount where you say, hey, I made I, I made a decent uh, hourly wage on putting this episode together. So there's a red support button there. You click on it. It's $3. Some people do 3 and 6 and 9 and uh, whatever. Uh, it's all appreciated. You know, it says buy me a coffee or buy me a pint there. Um on that front, uh, I want to thank this week, uh, Grant Arthur, Blaze Barshaw, Black Sugar Transmission, Andy, uh, Bruce Campbell, Simon Cole, Don the Chaldean, very, very um, uh, generous, thank you very much, Lee Clifford, David Fisher, Jeremy French, Kevin Latham, Augustin Garcia de Paredes, Brian Sager, Eric Saunderson, and Patricio Smart. Um, there you go. You go to martinpopoff.com. For the books, of course, um, like I say, I just got in the Rush album by album again. I was very surprised to be, see any copies of that. Um, and uh, and I've, I've got all of the uh, the visual biographies as well. Um, yeah, let's just leave it at that. Martinpopoff.com for the books. Uh, go play some of this stuff. I mean, this is, this is, like I say, this is where I'm really excited for you to go play these bands and get turned on to these bands or these songs. Not all of these. I mean, Helix, I'm not, I'm not trying to turn you on to the band Helix. I'm just literally trying to turn you on to Billy Oxygen there. Um, but the other ones, all of, all of them really are, are, I'm trying to turn you on to the bands as well. So go play this stuff. Until next time, uh, go play some Last Crack. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at The RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at R&R Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 